the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday program. I'm laughing because I'm sure at some point during this this program, you're going to be able to hear the construction behind. They are putting in new asphalt and it's loud and it's shaking the office. So I apologize in advance. Now, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. This is the word to stand up for life. And I'm grateful that you tuned in and we'll sort of struggle through all of the construction noise. It is literally right outside my back door. Uh, This program, as you know, is dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions and questions about stuff going on in your life. We need only to have you call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's our main number, 340-9585. If you're calling from outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, then everything can be hands-free. Push the Call Now banner, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, tonight we're starting a new book. I'm really, really grateful. Um, I love the prophecy of Daniel. So tonight I'm going to do just an introduction, uh, the first eight verses of the book, uh, Daniel chapter one. Uh, and I'm excited about it. As I think many of you know, uh, we are teaching through the book of Revelation on Friday nights and uh, through uh, Daniel starting tonight. Those are the two primary books of prophecy, one the Old Testament and the other the New Testament. And I'm excited to see what the Lord is going to do. I, I just think this is a, a wonderful opportunity. Daniel is one of the Old Testament heroes um, um, of our Bibles, and I'm hoping you are looking forward to it. One other thing, and Paula will probably talk about this, I'm sure, tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. Um, uh, if you haven't been to the website and listened to uh, Barbara Bay's Sweet Summer Devotion, um, do it. Do it tonight and maybe before Paul is here tomorrow, you'll have some questions to ask her. It was really a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Um, I, I, I just was completely blessed. I, I get a chance to see them tonight, I'm sure, and I'll be able to hug her and thank her very, very much. Well, let's get right to questions while I await your phone calls. Uh, the first question comes anonymously from our email inbox, and it says this. My husband gets after me or argues with me in front of our child and corrects me when disciplining. I've asked him for many years not to do this, not letting the kids get between us. He makes me feel like a child and not his wife. Very frustrating. I do pray and ask God to help me with this. Anonymous, I'm really, really sorry that you're having to deal with this. And this is one of those things. Uh, assuming, and, and this is always a dangerous assumption, assuming that you and your husband are believers, this is one of those areas that you desperately need to go to your church for counseling on. 
This is one of those things that you just can't let go. Your children um, need to see consistency and agreement uh, between mom and dad, see that you're walking together. But there's absolutely no excuse for your husband mistreating you this way, especially when you've let him know. Sometimes we men are jerks and we, we treat people badly uh, without even being aware of it. But, but now he knows. He has no excuse and uh, to, to do this, to belittle or to demean your wife, men, is the worst kind of sin, the worst kind of representation of Jesus in your home. And to get the kids involved, letting them take sides, um, understand that, that this woman says it's very frustrating, and that's probably the nicest way that she could describe it. So I can't change your husband. Pray for him. Uh, Remember that Jesus is your real husband. Um, Let him be enough. His grace is sufficient for you. Um, In his presence is fullness of joy, no matter how big a jerk your husband is being. But um, you've got to get really close to Jesus. And in terms of getting help, it's got to be a priority. And what I would do, I would tell my husband first, but if he refuses to go to counseling at church, I would let him know that you're going to do that. And you don't need to ask him for permission to do that. I'm going to ask for help at church because I can no longer take it the way that you're dishing it out. Now, unfortunately, being a jerk is not grounds for divorce. Um, this is one of those times where you've really got to die to self and get close to Jesus. Don't let his behavior change your behavior. hope that makes sense to you. But please, please, please get help. Let your husband know that you want him to go to counseling with you. And if he refuses, you're going to go and get counseling at church yourself. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm terribly sorry that Jesus is being misrepresented in your home. Finally, let me just say this to the men in, in our, our audience. Um, this husband and you, if you're anything like him, you're going to stand before Jesus and give account of how you represented or misrepresented him at your home. You are responsible for the inconsistency in your home. You're responsible for the many of the choices, the bad decisions your children are going to make. But mostly you're responsible for making a woman feel unloved and belittled like a child. The woman that you promised God that you would covet and care for and protect. This is a really, really serious thing. And believe me, you can think, well, it's, it's all her. But let me tell you something. This will not be allowed by God to go on for a long time. She says she's asked for many years. But there's going to be a day when he is called to account. And I'm not talking about on Judgment Day. I'm talking about before that happens, there will be a day when he's going to have to give answer. Men, this is exactly not the way to represent Jesus in your homes. Here's a question from Kent. He says, Pastor, and I heard your sermon last Friday about Thyatira. Well, thank you for tuning in. Uh, You said this was the picture of the USA church instead of Laodicea. Why did you say that? Uh, Kent, I've always sort of looked at Laodicea as as the, um, the the United States Church, you know, the lukewarm church. Jesus said, you're neither hot nor cold. He says he hates that. He's about to spit us out of his mouth. And, and I think it doesn't take much of an imagination to see how lukewarm the church in the United States is. Comfort often equates to a lukewarm walk with Jesus. And we see so many churches that are, are sort of geared toward um, entertaining uh, making people feel good, not proclaiming the whole gospel, not proclaiming the truth, not saying difficult things or calling people out on sin. And that's exactly what Laodicea is. Now, the reason that I've changed my mind 
is that I think we are in the middle uh, of the great falling away in this country, and, and this is where I am, so this is what I'm going to talk about. This is also true in other parts of the world. But the great falling away is the apostasy. It's that turning away from the Word of God. And what we've seen at warp speed is we, we've seen churches turn away from the Word of God in unbelievable numbers. Um, the so-called progressive Christian church and boy, they flaunt their Christianity. We're saved, but we think homosexuality is okay. We think being transgender is okay. Uh, the, the woke churches that we're seeing increasing in, in huge numbers, um, that's the corrupted church. And Thyatira is a corrupt church. So I think the United States churches, Kent, have graduated from lukewarm to an even worse condition where we're now corrupt. We're the ones, professing Christians. Now, I, but whether they're real Christians or not, that's between them and God. But, but simply put, to identify as a progressive Christian is to disqualify yourself from being a genuine Christian. And we're seeing these churches throw away the word and embrace worldliness, calling evil good and good evil. God who doesn't change is serious about how especially his churches, his pastors represent him. Remember, these letters to the seven churches are written to the messengers or to the pastors of those churches. And I I believe with all of my heart that we're so near the end when Jesus is going to return that we find ourselves already in the midst of the great falling away, which has to happen before the rapture of the church. It will be what causes the rapture of the church, and then it will be the cause of the great tribulation being ushered in. God is going to judge a Christ-rejecting world. And sadly, Kent, we've got a lot of professing Christian churches. We've always had false teaching churches. Prosperity churches, they're going to be called to account. There's a lot of pastors who are really famous And they're going to find themselves still here after the Great Tribulation because they never really knew Jesus. Well, the same thing is true of this so-called progressive Christian church. The Bible, it's an old book. We've advanced sociologically. And um, so when I said we're now Thyatira in the United States predominantly, that is a heartfelt opinion that I have, Kent. But believe me, that's not a step up from lukewarm. That's a step down. Lukewarmness leads to that. But now we have become the corrupt church, and that's what Thyatira is. Good question, Kent, and thanks for listening to the messages. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Danny says, I know that if we pray in God's will, we get what we pray for. But what about our relatives' salvation? I know it's God's will, but those prayers aren't being answered. You know, Danny, this is a tough question because you're right about both things. Uh, you're, you're right that um, if we pray according to the will of God, he hears our prayer. And John says if we, uh, this is a confidence we have. If we, if, if we know he hears us, then we have what we've asked for. The one exception to that is when it would impede upon somebody's free will. God will never cut out somebody's ability to choose. Not ever. So Danny, what we've got to pray for, and this is a hard one. In fact, this might be, especially for a parent, the most difficult thing to pray for. Lord, whatever it takes, you bring this person or that person to you. Lord, get them to the end. Get them to the place where they've they've got nowhere to look but up. And um, that's a prayer God can hear. Uh, I struggle with this. I think every one of us does. I want my relatives, I want the people that I love and care for to be saved. Um, But God simply will not uh, take away their free will, no matter how much he loves me and no matter how many times I ask Danny. So what we've got to do is understand that he is uh, working circumstances in their life. He loves them more than we do. 
and he's maneuvering them into a situation where things are going to get much, much worse, and they're going to have to look up for a solution, but, but the choice to do so remains theirs. And God honors their free will, as must we honor their free will as well. Thank you for the question, Danny. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Jeff on line one from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I had a question about the, the Friday um, teaching as well, uh, Thyatira. And, okay. Um, so something that you said, and yes, I, you said that that was really a difficult one for you to teach, and it was actually a very difficult one to, to absorb, too, especially when you were talking about the persuasion of the Jezebel spirit in people. But I wrote something down. I just wanted you to, to comment on it further. And it's when, when we say that when stubborn people sin, um, other people suffer, suffer too. So, so what are we to do when professing Christians fall into sin? You know, who do, what do we do when we recognize those people and see them, and how do we go to them in love and based on that study? And I'll get off the phone and talk to you later. Love you, bye. Yeah, Jeff, thank you. Those are always difficult things because a lot of us as Christians, it's just sort of baked into our DNA. We don't like confrontation. We just don't like confrontation. We, and, and in fact, to, to, to confront somebody, we've got to work ourselves up almost to the point of being mad. And, and of course, when we're angry, uh, then we're going to sin and, and uh, we, we, we forfeit our position of righteous anger in the process. Um, Jeff, it is our responsibility. You won't be popular, uh, but it is our responsibility, somebody that you pray for, somebody that you care about, uh, who calls themselves a Christian, when you see them in sin, you have to call them on it. Again, you're not going to be well-received. People are going to say things like, well, you're judging me, and and uh, don't you know the Bible says, judge not, lest ye be judged by God. And, and our response is, look, I'm not judging you at all. I'm just telling you, the Bible says you, you're supposed to do this or you're not supposed to do this, and that's exactly what I see you doing. And I love you. I want I want you to be in heaven. So here's my question. What makes you think you're a Christian if you're living in a way that contradicts your statement of faith? And um, you're going to be excluded from a lot of things, especially when it's family. Um, Nobody's going to be happy to see you. It's not like we're on a mission to be the Holy Spirit in people's lives, but we've got to have the courage and the love to call them out. And we can't worry about whether or not they're offended. If, if our heart is not to offend, God knows that. We know it. And so if we're accused of it, that's a defensive reaction from the person that we're confronting. But we have got to take the initiative to say, I care so much about you that I'm willing to risk our friendship to tell you you've got to stop doing this if you claim to be a Christian. God will not be mocked, Galatians 6 says. We can't, we can't trick him. He knows those who are really his. And just tell somebody, I'm afraid that if you can live like this, you really don't belong to him. And here's what happens when they cut you out of their life, and often that's the case. The Holy Spirit will haunt them with your words and with your witness. And it's not unusual at all for people to get so angry that they just, I never want anything to do with you again. You're judging me. God knows my heart. All the silly excuses that we hear. At the same time, months later, sometimes years later, those people come back and ask for the opportunity to say thank you to you because those are the words that communicated to them the heart of God. So we just have to be willing, Jeff, to be disliked, to be cut off or cut out of people's lives. And unfortunately, there's just not a lot of that kind of courage that's being demonstrated in the Christian church. And in fact, uh, the churches that I spoke about earlier, those who are, are um, there's a focus on entertaining people or making people feel good about themselves. Uh, they don't deal with sin at all uh, in their corporate gatherings and and um, uh, there's going to be a, 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 an accountability. I promise that nobody wants to stand before Jesus. He's going to say, well, why didn't you love them enough to tell them the truth? I always think of, of 
somebody that I care about and me not telling them because I don't want to rock the boat of my friendship and then them getting saved later and saying, well, why didn't you tell me? You said you loved me. You said you loved Jesus and you never told me what I was doing was wrong. We've got to be braver than we are. So, Jeff, that's why this is really difficult. But we, we go to people and we go in love and we don't worry about what they accuse us of doing. We just explain to them that this is because I love you, bro. This is because I really care about you. And many times the behavior, sexual immorality as an example, you can say from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says people who live like you're living will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I ask people, doesn't that frighten you? And when they say no, I know how hard their heart has become. And I keep praying for them. And most of those people aren't calling, inviting me out to dinner, wanting to come over and just shoot the breeze. <laughs> They're done. You know, they, they just don't want to be exposed. We've got to be brave enough to do that. Jeff, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Thomas from San Antonio called into our studio and said, uh, if people are giving us trouble, for example, vandalizing property, are we supposed to call the authorities or simply pray on the matter? Um, Thomas, when lawlessness is one of the one of the signs of the very very end, uh, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of of uh, people being attacked on the streets and beaten and stolen in big cities where the police officers have been defunded and the police because of 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 uh, just the, the climate in our culture, uh, they, they're not arresting people, they're not they're not helping people. Um, uh, because th- there's just no way they can do it without without risking everything. Um, uh, we've got lawlessness on our streets. Uh, there was on on uh, the news uh, just this past week um, uh, stories where it showed security cameras showed uh, large numbers of people going into big stores and walking out, just walking out casually, brazenly walking out with all kinds of stuff that they'd stolen and nobody in the in the store doing anything about it. Uh, certainly no police presence. Um, that's lawlessness, and we're in a time of lawlessness. We're at the end. But one of the things that we've got to do is uphold being lawful. And so when somebody's giving you those kind of problems, call the police. Now, they may not do anything about it, but your responsibility is to call them to report the matters and then you can pray for the people. But don't just accept the confiscation of property. Don't don't ex- uh, accept the damaging, the vandalizing of property. When you see crime happening, we report it. That's what Christians do. Um, Thomas, we had a, a man um, come into church and got saved um, just last week. And um, um, he came in to talk with Pastor Ken, and um, um, he'd done some things, and bad, really bad things. And he was told, um, after he gave his life to Jesus Christ, he was told that, that um, you know, you've got to turn yourself in. And he knew what the consequences were going to be. Now, this is a brand new believer, but God is dealing with his heart. And he turned himself in, and he's going to go to jail. He's in jail. He's going to go to prison probably for a short period of time. But you see, that's a converted heart. And he's not in jail alone. Jesus is there with him. So again, we've got to stand for law and order. Um... When people are committing crimes, we're not doing them any kind of a favor at all. We're certainly not demonstrating that we love them by just letting them get away with it. And unfortunately, that is the world that we live in. Uh, People say, well, why are you so convinced that we're the very last hours of the very last days? It's things like this, Thomas, that convince me. All we need to do is look around and we see impossible things. I mean, just a few years ago, these kinds of things would never be tolerated. And we're seeing it all over in the name of whatever liberal cause there is out there. 
But no, we've got to be men and women who report unlawful acts. So I hope that helps you. Thank you, Thomas. Here is a question. We're inside two minutes now. So here's a question from uh, Luis. Here's how I can do this in a minute and a half. Predestination and double predestination. Your thoughts, please. Um, um, predestination is a biblical doctrine, Luis. Um, we are chosen before the foundation of the world. God predestines those he foreknew, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, and First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Double predestination is a damnable heresy. That means God chooses some for heaven, and necessarily then that means he chooses others for hell. That is heretical. It misrepresents the character and the nature of God and uh, is, is just simply not true. God died for the sins of the whole world. His death is efficacious for everybody who's ever lived. It's only effective for those who choose him back. So double predestination is heresy, and um, I just can't imagine how Jesus reacts to being accused of being that kind of a God. Thank you, Luis. We've got 30 minutes left in the show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is The Word to Stand On for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 30 minutes left today. And a reminder, Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the show tomorrow. So, ladies, that is an opportunity for you to ask Paula some questions or let her use her marvelous gift of encouragement to encourage you. Here is a question from Seth. Seth, I like this question. Pastor Ron, what are the church's marching orders for post-COVID? Seth, one of the great things about the church and how we're supposed to function is that our marching orders have never changed. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42 It tells us uh, exactly what the church is supposed to be doing. Uh, We're equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We're we're doing it by being devoted to the apostles' doctrine. We we understand that to mean the Bible that we're teaching, to be devoted to it, to cling to it. Uh, We're to be devoted to fellowship. We're to be devoted for prayer. We're to take care of people uh, and love people. Uh, especially those who cannot care for themselves. That's always been the church's marching orders, to be light in the darkness of this world. That's why the question Jeff asked about Thyatira is so painful, because instead of being light, the corrupt church that that many have become, um, um, instead of being a light in the darkness, we just added to the darkness. So the church's marching orders uh, for post-COVID, the same as they were um, right after the, 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 the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. I will say this, Seth. Uh, it is time, and, and I, want, I, I need everybody to trust me here or to, to hear my heart. It's time for everybody who is not immunocompromised to get back in church and start serving. Jesus is coming soon. Now, obviously, if if you're still afraid and you have legitimate reasons, uh, by that I mean you, you, you have a compromised immune system, um, uh, if you're older, if you're having chemo, um, you know, just all the things that we've talked about now for a year and a half, uh, it's wise for you to be home. It really is, and there are things that you can do. You ought then to become prayer warriors at the very least while you're at home. But everybody else, and I'm, I mean that in an unqualified statement, everybody else, even if you're fearful, everybody else needs to be back in church. And I don't mean just going and sitting and listening, but I mean using the gifts that God has given you. We need the power of the Holy Spirit more now than we've ever needed him before. 
And you can't do that on your terms. So we've got to get back in action. We've got to begin sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, um, uh, offering ourselves to the Lord as servants. Jesus, I want to be your arms. I want to be your heart. Uh, people that are hurting, um, people that are afraid, the ministry opportunities are where people are gathered. And on um, the days that we all gather together, that's a church. So it's just time to get over our fear. It's time to get over our spiritual laziness that was created through bad habits through the pandemic and the quarantine. It's time to stop thinking about church being something for us and instead remember that we are the church and we're here to minister to other people, that God has given us his spirit and gifts of the spirit to be a blessing uh, to others, to edify others. And there's just no time left for lazy Christianity. There's no time left to be casual Christians. Paul said in his letters to the Romans, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Seth, our marching orders are to be just white hot for Jesus. And that's what we've got to do. We gotta go letting the word of God penetrate our hearts and change our lives. We've got to come to church one way and leave having been changed by the word. Those are the marching orders. And we gotta tell people about Jesus. And uh, that's just not happening. We've we've become spiritually lazy. And uh, we find all kinds of reasons to excuse our spiritual laziness. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We'd love to have your calls. The phone lines are open right now. Linda asked, "Does God still give the gift of healing today?" Um, Linda, go to CalvarySA.com. Um, three weeks ago, uh, three Sundays ago, uh, I did a study on the gifts. Or actually, I started four Sundays ago, working through the gifts, uh, and one of them is the gift of healing. But it's gifts plural of healing. And God still does give gifts of healing today. But the singular gift of healing, and the way we think about it in our church culture, is that God has somebody who's specially anointed, and they can touch people and pray for people, and those people will be healed. And we fill auditoriums and and, and give obscene amounts of money to these charlatans who claim to be faith healers. Um, that's not how God has ever given the gift of healing. Uh, the Apostle Paul gave gifts of healing from God to people that got healed. But there were still a lot of people that Paul didn't heal, including himself. So we need to understand what this gift is. The gifts of healing that are received from God by people who are sick, they get well, and God still does that. But the singular gift of healing, the anointing to heal, is just... A carnival. Those those men and women are phonies, and we need um, Linda not to pay attention to them. Jennifer from San Antonio is on line one. Jennifer, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, I have a prayer request. Okay. Um, during this whole COVID thing, I have uh, I'm married, and my husband has an aunt who has had a severe stroke several years ago. And we have been, of course, we had to keep out of the nursing home for a while. And she's very slowly gotten better, but she's kind of like dealing with a retarded child at a young mm -hmm. age. And, you know, the nursing home is bound by so many laws and rules that don't make sense. And <laughs> one of the things that's happening is her hand is curling up. And I mm. just asked for prayer she would cooperate with the therapist and the nurse to let her exercise her hand, put her brace on, put something in her hand to keep it open because she's resisting. She's severely just um, pulling her hand away, not letting them do things. And I can't be there all the time. We're only allowed to visit yeah. once a week. And I yeah. used to worry about her a lot more and I've just had to give it to God and God showed me, don't worry. You know, just 
Let me take care of it. You can't do anything to make it any better. So. Yeah. It doesn't make you feel any better when the devil's heaping all kinds of guilt on you, though. And I understand that, Jennifer. Uh, A couple of things. The rules in these nursing homes, they don't want to get sued. And they're just being super, super careful. But your uh, family member needs an advocate as well. And so you've got to be a little bit, and, and do this nicely, do this in a godly way. And I'm sure you would, Jennifer. But But you've got to be an advocate, sort of the squeaky wheel. Um, um, we, we've got some, some people, especially a couple of women that I'm thinking about right now who are so gifted by God to do this. And we've got people that are in hospitals in difficult situations. Um, you know, God has just used them to be that, that squeaky wheel to make sure that they get cared. So I would call them all the time and just say, I can't come until Thursday, but when I'm, when I'm there, I'm going to make sure that, that, that the therapist is doing the hand exercises that she needs uh, and just let them know that you're always going to be uh, advocating for her. Um, you know, these therapists are professionals. They know how to deal with um, uh, people who aren't really cooperating with them. And uh, you need to pray. Can I have her first name, Jennifer, so I can put her on my prayer list? That's the thing I wanted to explain. I've done everything I could. I'm not the POA I can't get the POA to cooperate all the time. He doesn't really care. We've tried to switch the POA. Um, he He's concerned about the bottom line, I hate to say. And yeah. I've done, by coming in there and doing things and getting doctor's orders, we've done as much as we could. But it crosses the line according to patients' rights. If she gets to a certain point where she's aggressively pulling away her hand or saying no, shaking her head or or sitting there and looking at the therapist refusing to cooperate um yeah. there's nothing they can do okay jennifer what is just give me your first name please so i can be praying tina aunt tina, tina okay okay uh thank, thank you, you so jennifer I'm, I'm going to pray for her now and ask our audience to pray as well lord we lift tina to you and we pray for this person who's got the power of attorney uh, to, to be an advocate. That's what the power of attorney is for. We pray that, that you would put in Tina's heart a desire to cooperate, to get better, to hang in there. Lord, we know that uh, a lot of people in these nursing homes, they deteriorate so quickly. Um, we ask you, Jesus, to intervene on Jennifer's behalf, on Tina's behalf. Please, Lord, um, even if it comes to the point where where you've got to put in her heart the desire to cooperate with her therapists. Amen, Jesus. Thank you, Jennifer. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Mary Ann asks, what should happen if a wife and a husband don't feel called to the same church or same ministry? Mary Ann, I'm going to assume this is personal. Um, If that is the case, then you should submit to the leadership of your husband. A husband and wife should not be going to separate churches. They shouldn't avoid one another's gifting or calling. You're not two people. You're one flesh. And I realize how difficult this is for some people. Um, But as a wife, um, if you don't feel called to the same church uh, that he does, then this is when you've got to exercise your faith in God because it, it, it simply would not be um, pleasing to the Lord uh, that you would avoid uh, submitting to your husband. Wives, submit to your husbands. If you look really closely, there's two terrible words there in Ephesians 5, in everything. And as long as your husband isn't asking you to do something ungodly, if he's not asking you to sin, if he's not asking you to avoid church, then it's your responsibility to submit to his leadership. Now, let me make one exception here. If the church that your husband says he feels called to is heretical, uh, then you've got to take a stand. Uh, You've got to help him lead your family by saying, uh, the church that you are asking me to go to is misrepresenting the word of God. It's misrepresenting God. And and God would not have me do something that is in violation or in contrast to the the directions that we've been given in the Word. So um, because it's a false church, I'm not going to go. 
But you better be able to back up what you're doing, what you're saying. And it, it can't be just because, well, I don't feel they're this or I don't feel they're that. you got to get over your feelings. And, and 95% of the time, that's just a dumb number I threw out. Um, this is God working on you, on you, Marianne, or on the wife in this case, to submit to her husband, demonstrating you trust God. If that means saying goodbye to friends in the old church, being obedient to God is more important. Let your husband be the spiritual leader. Again, as long as he's not asking you to be ungodly or do something that's ungodly, let your husband be the spiritual leader, and then God will move his heart. If if you're in the wrong place, God will move his heart. But as long as there's this division between the husband and the wife, then there's absolute chaos. There can't be two heads in a home. There can't be two heads in a ministry. There's got to be one. And this is just the way it is. Jesus has the church. Uh, we call him Lord. He makes the rules. And he said, this is the way it is. So submit to the leadership of your husband and pray for him. Pray for him. You know, Marianne, let me give you um, um, a, a little direction here. Uh, go go to calvarysa.com. That's our website. And listen to the Sweet Summer Devotion that Barbara Arispe did. Go to Recent Studies. Get the front page. Just go down to Recent Studies. And then it'll come up. Uh, Sweet Summer Devotions. Uh, Barbara dealt with some of those same issues. When her husband, who God changed radically, um, when when her husband wanted to change churches, um, she didn't want to. And and uh, just listen to the testimony about about what God did in her husband and what God has done in their marriage as a result. It will be a wonderful um, 35 minutes, uh, a way to spend your time. And, and I'm, I'm con- confident that uh, the Lord will speak to your heart. Juan asks, if our sins are forgiven, why do we keep asking for forgiveness? Well, Juan, we keep asking for forgiveness because we keep sinning. I mean, that's an obvious answer. We keep sinning. Now, God died for your sins. If you can say, God, please forgive me. I'm sorry for all my sins. He says, okay, they're all wiped out. And if you can go on without sinning, then you can stop asking for forgiveness. Now, Juan, we know that's not possible. So here's what happens. We're not talking about your salvation here. That issue has been taken care of on the cross of Jesus Christ. But we have fellowship with Jesus. This is what the whole um, little precious book of 1 John is all about. We have fellowship every day with Jesus. When we sin, that fellowship is broken. And it's only when we confess our sin ask God to forgive us, that he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and that fellowship is restored. Imagine having Jesus ready to to forgive you, ready to to talk to you and walk with you and, and just hang out with you, but he can't do it because you're unwilling to ask for forgiveness. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, that's simply agreeing with God about what is sin. And so we say, God, I'm so sorry. And he comes rushing right back, and it's as though you'd never sinned all over again. Your fellowship is instantly restored. And one, if we're not in fellowship with the Lord, we're going to keep doing dumb things. We're going to keep making worse and worse decisions, and our sin is going to compound. And eventually we get to a place where there's so much between us and the Lord that, that, that we stop, our heart gets hard, we stop seeking him. So we keep asking for forgiveness because we keep on sinning. And since we can't stop sinning, we want to. But we're still flesh. We're still fighting this old man in us. We need to keep the accounts short. And that's why... I've said on this radio program many times over the years, uh, I want to be aware of Jesus' presence all day, every day. I, I don't want to just, okay, have a morning devotion, say my prayers, and then go about my day. I want Jesus to be with me everywhere. That fellowship is so sweet. And he gives me opportunities to use the gifts that, that, that he's chosen to give me 
to, to be a blessing to others. Well, if my fellowship with him is broken, all of that is cut off and I'm on my own. And one, I don't do very well when I'm on my own. So that's the reason we keep asking for forgiveness. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Marilyn. She says, what's the best way to respond when someone says, God just wants me to be happy? Uh, Marilyn, the way I always respond to that question, and I get this a lot, or that statement, I ask them, so, so tell me, how's that working out for you? Because they're not happy. They know it, I know it, certainly God knows it. How's that working out for you? And they never have an answer. And often that gives me the opportunity to say, you know, the truth is, you want to be happy. Now, there's no sin in wanting to be happy. But when we're separated from the Lord, um, making sinful choices, no one is happy. And when people make that statement, Marilyn, I question their salvation. I, I, you know, it's between them and God, but it just seems impossible to me for somebody not to care what God thinks about something. For somebody to say, well, I, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but God wants me to be happy, and he or she makes me happy, or, or doing that makes me happy. We know they're not happy, so we confront them in love so that's how you do it and um, it'll give you lots of opportunities to share and if people get mad at you we're tough enough to handle that so be it that's just the way it is here is thing I thought I had another question I don't I don't five minutes okay this might take the rest of the program uh, rain says, Will God change someone from being gay to being heterosexual if they get saved? Um, rain, um, sometimes, but not often. And um, the answer is usually not. Uh, when you get saved, you're agreeing with Jesus to be who he wants you to be. And there are people who have same-sex attraction. Remember, we live in a fallen world and this is real. There are people who have same-sex attraction, and that doesn't stop when they meet Jesus. What happens when they meet Jesus is that he comes to live in them in the person of the Holy Spirit, and he enables them, he gives them the power to say no to those temptations and, and, and those attractions. And it's simply a matter of, am I going to live to please me, or am I going to live to please God? And if your choice is, okay, I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to live to please God, then what you do is whatever it is that pleases him. And all single people reign. And when I talk about single people, I mean everyone who is not married to somebody of the opposite sex. Every single person is called by God to live a celibate life. We don't like it, but that's the way it is. And so whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, there cannot be, for a believer, any sexual activity outside of traditional marriage. That's God's rules. He's in charge. He gets to make the rules. Now, there are people who have been changed. Um, We we have a, a couple here in our church who just last week gave their testimony um, and Rain, if you want to email me, I can hook you up with the, the, the link to the testimony on YouTube um, where uh, a man was was living in homosexuality, uh, keeping secrets from everybody and from God, he thought. Um, but God has restored their marriage, wonderfully so, triumphantly so. Uh, there's a young woman, um, um, Rain, her name is Jackie Hill Perry. You can Google her, or put, put, go, do it on YouTube, search her on YouTube. Um, she has a ministry. Um, she was um, the, the, the masculine um, lesbian. Um, she's a black woman. Um, and that's just the way she was. Um, she got saved first. 
um, still attracted to women, um, but eventually all that changed. She met a man, and uh, now they have two kids, and they're they're doing wonderfully. Um, but 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 we don't come to Jesus so we can be changed uh, sexuality-wise. We come to Jesus to change us from the inside out. And when you are faithful, Rain, then there's no telling what the power of the Holy Spirit will be able to do. So you can't come to Jesus to change sexual orientation. You come to Jesus because you're a sinner on your way to hell, and when you ask him into your heart and when you obey him, the Holy Spirit then takes over, and he is powerful to change. It's certainly something that you can pray for. Say, Jesus, I don't want to be alone. I want to be married. Give me a desire, a physical desire, for, for people of the opposite sex. But you've got to be obedient. You've got to be faithful. And when you are, then we'll see what God's plan is. Until then, Rain, we don't really know what God's plan is. But it's happened. Uh, the church is embarrassed, or at least we should be embarrassed, by all of the pray the gay away approaches over the last several decades. Um, uh, humiliating. Uh, we've humiliated ourselves. People come to Jesus because they want to go to heaven instead of hell because Jesus died for our sins. Rain, thanks for the question. Hey, tomorrow, Paula will be live on studio in the date-day edition of the program, so we'd love to have you join us. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.